you know, they say things like, um, you know, that that sending Jesus to the cross is like cosmic child abuse and whatever. But, you know, we forget that Jesus chose. It wasn't just that the Father sent him right. to the cross. It's that Jesus, uh, in, in perfect harmony with the Father, also chose to go and and to take our punishment um, as our substitute. And so um, I, I think, you know, we we have to simply be faithful to the text, to, to, to what God has revealed in the New Testament, and and not, you know, try to make it more palatable for people. We we have to report mm-hmm. what what was uh, inspired by God, and if it's not inspired by God, then we have no no uh, we, we have no reality. We have no no understanding of reality. Then we want to put our faith in reality, not just something that we have constructed to make you know Christianity more um more um believable or 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 in more palatable for the average person hello and welcome to calvary conversations a ministry of calvary university we thank you for joining us today about important conversations from a biblical worldview i'm tim hange the department chair of english at calvary university and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Sean LePage, who is the Department Chair of Ministry Studies and Associate Professor of Ministry Studies, Dr. Joshua Paxton, who's uh, the head of our Intercultural Studies Department, and Dr. Mike Dodds, who is the Dean of the Seminary and the Director of CU Press. So thank you so much for joining uh, today on this really tough topic. And To give you a little bit of background, this topic came about as we were looking and discussing the National Association of Evangelical Statement of Faith. And we were asking asking the question, does it have the cross right? Does it it accurately describe the meaning of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? what we noticed was the the website does say that uh, Christ's death uh, uh, is a is an atonement for our sins, and that led to some thinking about uh, the fact that there are a lot of people in the theological community now, a lot of believers, who are questioning the idea of substitutionary atonement as being at the core of uh, salvation and at the core of what Christ's death, burial, and resurrection means. Now, not everybody probably listening just knows off the top of their head what substitutionary atonement is. So uh, let's define that term. Uh, substitutionary atonement is the idea that Christ's death satisfies a penalty that we are guilty of before God because we are inherently sinful. And because of Christ's atoning death on the cross, we are saved from God's wrath. Gentlemen, would you add anything to that description? I would say that that's pretty accurate, Tim. Um, Maybe the only thing I would add is the, 
it, it harkens back to the Old Testament sacrificial system mm-hmm. and how the the Jews once a year would offer a lamb, and that would be the the sin sacrifice, the the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so in much the same way, uh, Jesus is the atonement for for our sins because we have we have sinned against a a holy God. He is the standard and and we don't measure up. Right. Right. So there's a lot of reaction to uh, substitutionary atonement now. Um, Stephen Schock, uh, we'll get to his comment in a bit, called it cosmic child abuse where where God punishes his son to save him from himself. Um, and, and how can a God like that be good? How can that even make logical sense? Uh, there are a lot of people like uh, uh, Brian McLaren and Tony Jones who, who hold to that. There's this idea of Christus Victor being an alternative view of, of what the, the death and resurrection of Christ means and that is Christ demonstrating his power over over sin and death uh, as a, a a a model to the believer, um, and as evidence to uh, the believer that he is who he says he is. Uh, so there are there are alternative views, but uh, what what I want to ask at just at the outset here, gentlemen, does it have to be substitutionary atonement? I mean, if 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 you're fellowshipping at a church where where you know where they believe, look, Christ's you know death and um, on on the cross is an incredible you know example of sacrifice, dying for for those he loved, and 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 being you know resurrected, demonstrating power over over, over sin and death. But uh, you know, I don't I don't believe that I'm somehow needed my sins washed you know, by his blood or anything like that. I mean, God, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be that. Is that, I mean, how would you respond to that? I would say, Tim, that it's perhaps more than that, but it's not less than that. Uh, It's not less than Jesus died in my place. He, He is a substitute who died for my sins. Um, you know, I'm looking at uh, Romans 3.25 that says God displayed publicly Jesus as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Uh, uh, just thinking about the cross where, where uh, Jesus said that, that you know, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that's, that's because he was taking um, our sins on himself. Uh, 1 John 2, 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world, you know. So, so it, 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 we, we, we could, we could talk about how it's more than just substitution and atonement, uh, but I just don't see how it could possibly be less than that. Absolutely, Tim. I would I would add to you the verses you mentioned there, Second Corinthians five twenty one, which says He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, yeah. so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And you know, I think Tim, you 
You clued in on something really important in the whole conversation there about whether or not substitutionary atonement is actually essential. And that is in, in you were talking about not needing to have my sins washed away. And and yet scripture clearly proclaims to us if we're reading it, if we're having a biblical worldview that we have original sin. We are born with a sin nature. Romans one, Romans uh, five, twelve and you know mm -hmm. clearly proclaims to us that we have this sinful nature even outside sinful acts that we might do on our own and so we could talk about you know other great theological terms inherited sin imputed sin uh and then personal sin and but without this atoning sacrifice without Christ's payment for sin on our behalf which we could never do then there can be no salvation and that that is almost a starting point, whether or not you view man as being inherently sinful or or not. Yeah, we, we don't take these positions. We end up where other people have gone. Just a review real quickly of other understandings of what we're labeling substitution, the atonement of Christ. There are those that feel that Christ's death is just an example of the extent of uh, devotion we should have to God, even being willing to give our life. So he's just a good example for us. Um, he, he's a, a example of love, and and that's that's really all it is. He, he was willing to love us or love the Father. And then there's the, the view that Christ's death was really a mistake. God never intended it. Mm -hmm. And he, God's got to make up for the problem that, that the Jews caused and the Romans caused by killing him. He never really intended that. So we're really talking on a specific point here that we all believe that Christ's death was necessary. And so as Josh was just describing, Dr. Paxson was describing, there's what is that necessity? It comes from us, uh, our sin. But, you know, guys, a, a very intelligent theologian, Gustav Allen, did a, a seminal work where he examined the uh, the history of, of, of how salvation is viewed and really determined that the early church didn't um, didn't really buy into substitutionary atonement, that it was more of this uh, idea of Christus victor, that Christ, you know, has has conquered sin and and he's even given us you know power over sin through his death and resurrection you know we receive the holy spirit and have power over sin but it's not you know it's not an atoning death uh, uh so you know in the face of such scholarship uh about the early church uh um and and their view on substitutionary atonement what 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 might we have to say to that well i i, I want to ask you know well how early uh, how how early did 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 the church not accept you know yeah. a substitutionary atonement versus some other view because you know there have been these views around for a long time but but uh, you know we're biblicists we we go back to the text you know regardless right. of regardless of what may or may not have been taught in history I mean you can go way back and find uh, all kinds of heresies and and problems and confusion uh, in the church, you know, uh, even even uh, in the book of Acts, you know, there's a confusion about what the gospel was. Uh, and so they came together in, in Acts 15 and they clarified 
you know, what what uh, whether Paul was proclaiming the right gospel. So, you know, how early uh, are we talking about here? And and just because you can go back and 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 find, um, you know, aberrant views doesn't mean that that was the dominant view. So I, I'd, I'd be open right. to reading what this gentleman uh, wrote about uh, for sure. But but, um, you know, just because someone says <laughs> we got to be careful when someone says, um you know the the early church taught this or or something like that because um you know it was it, there there were problems uh, amidst the truth and and people who were solidly teaching the apostolic faith mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or even which early church like i mean there were there were schisms in the church very early on but you know like like Sean is saying how early Right. I mean, if hopefully we go all the way back to the writers of the New Testament and Paul, you know, Paul very clearly in first Corinthians 15. Uh, so first, I'll just read it. First Corinthians 15, verse three, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with these scriptures. Uh, right. Sean quoted it earlier, but first John, uh, he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. And so there, there is this language all throughout scripture that Christ was death. Christ's death was a payment, a substitution. It's, it's different, but different verbs are used um, because of our sins. The reason I bring up uh, Alan is because, you know, he's, he's really considered a wide uh, modern proponent of of or very influential in having uh, spread the idea of Christus Victor in our time. Um, and the the thing that concerns me is that uh, it seems to just sort of be taken for granted that what he said about the early church is true. And I I don't think that it really is. Um, I, I think that if you if you go back to the early church fathers and even look up St. John Chrysostom and, and, and his homilies, you'll, you're going to see redemption woven into, uh, you know, his story, his, his, uh, his homilies. I, 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 you know, I think we as Christians need to be better at testing, um, because, uh, well, let me ask what, what do you think motivates people? Um, um, it's, it's kind of funny, guys. I know I provided you with a list of questions, but I'm, I'm sort of going <laughs> off, uh, off, off, off questions here because I think uh, uh, I, I kind of want to get at the core of this. What do you think motivates people to uh, to adopt a view? I mean, let's let's be clear. <laughs> All of us here really scratch our heads at these alternate views of. Um, alternate interpretations of Christ's death and resurrection when the Bible is so very clear on this. And, and uh, we have to wonder what's motivating people who, um, who, uh, who adopt some of these other views. And maybe this is, uh, I, I guess I will tie this in with one of my questions. Uh, so Stephen Chalk um, says, he made a famous statement that the fact that the cross isn't a form, um, the fact is that the cross isn't a form of cosmic child abuse, a vengeful father punishing his son for an offense he is not even committed. Understandably, both people inside and outside the church have found this twisted version of events morally dubious and a huge barrier to faith. 
Deeper than that, however, is that such a concept stands in total contradiction to the statement, God is love. If the cross is a personal act of violence perpetrated by God towards humanity, but born by his son, then it makes a mockery of Jesus's own teaching to love your enemies and to refuse to repay evil with evil. What's motivating Chalk to make this statement? Fundamentally, he has a high view of man and a very low view of God. And I think that right there is the is the essential component in in the entire argument is that so I'll I'll use an illustration. Um when growing up with a genetic kidney disease, uh, I would I'd love to ask the, you know, I'd love to ask the question, how can a good God allow, you know, allow bad things to happen to to good people? That question has several problems in it. The fundamental, all right, the fundamental problem in that is the statement good people. As the biblical worldview clearly portrays, we're not good people. And we we love to have a perspective on reality that elevates mankind and lowers God or personifies God as just another person. Like we'll we'll put human qualities on him when his qualities are so much higher than than our own. And you can't do that with God. Fundamentally, all of history, all of creation, all of reality is not about us it's about him and and that is a that is a radical perspective shift that is required in order to understand our position as sinful fallen people compared with a holy and just god hmm. yeah josh you just said something this emphasis in the statement i don't, I don't know chalk but uh People emphasize God is love, and so how could he do either do something to his son? And, and all right, we have a difficulty in describing the Godhead here. Uh, you know, we, the, these separate beings as if there's one person punishing another person. So it's really God who atoned for sin for us, we have to say. But just just that issue of God is not just love. He is love in the essence of his being, but he's also holiness and righteousness, and that's involved in uh, the atonement, too. That's a good one, Mike, and I just, the, the aspect of God not being loving by Christ going to the cross, when when the reality is it's exactly the opposite. Christ going to the cross to pay for the sins of humanity who cannot be saved by any other means is an incredible demonstration of his love. Even as scripture says, God shows his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, it's almost as though John was directly addressing that. You know, like, like maybe this yeah. same objection came up in the first century because John directly addressed it as you know the ultimate act of love to to step mm -hmm. in and and take this punishment you know but but Tim your question is about you know why why would people you know come up with these alternate views I think you know we, we can't really know someone's motivation but in that quote that you shared he talks about how 
both people inside and outside of the church have found this twisted version of events twisted boy that's strong language um morally dubious and a huge barrier to faith and so i think that's getting at maybe uh you know his reasoning is you know we've got to make this thing more palatable or 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 just softer and 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 you know less violent i guess you know um uh so i think that that's getting at his his thinking and you know this is why you know they say things like um you know that that sending jesus to the cross is like cosmic child abuse and whatever but you know we forget that jesus chose it wasn't just that the father sent him to the cross it's that jesus uh in perfect harmony with the Father, also chose to go and and to take our punishment um, as our substitute. And so um, I, I think, you know, we we have to simply be faithful to the text, to 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 what God has revealed in the New Testament and and not, you know, try to make it more palatable for people. We we have to report mm-hmm. what what was uh, inspired by God, and if it's not inspired by God, then we have no, no, uh, we, we have no reality. We have no no understanding of reality. But, but you know, if the scriptures are true, and I believe that they are, then then we can't change it to make it more, uh, to make it you know, in in this author's uh, view, less morally dubious, you know. Um, I, I disagree with him that it's morally dubious and a huge barrier to faith, but I do think it does require faith, and we want to put our faith in reality, not just something that we have constructed to make, you know, Christianity more um, more um, believable or, or, or right. in, uh, more palatable for the average person. Yeah. It's an interesting. John, that's, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. It, it is interesting through history. Uh, almost every religion has some form of uh, an attempt to how to appease God or the gods. And and quite often that was some form of sacrifice, you know, that, that somebody had to die for uh this appeasement, using that word. It's interesting, we're having a discussion here in September, right before Yom Kippur. The Jews are celebrating the Day of Atonement here in a few days. Uh, so it, it, Christianity comes out of that understanding that uh, God gave to the children of Israel that uh, you know, where sin occurs, death must occur because we're, we've offended a holy, righteous God. What I think yeah, is Sean, really sad is you. that in our in our attempt, or I our, not our attempt, but in the attempt of some pastors and uh, preachers and thinkers to make Christianity more palatable to our generation mm-hmm. by preaching a gospel that says you are fundamentally okay, but a belief in God can make you better, uh, because they want to avoid this psychologically harmful idea of. A, a wrathful God. What you end up doing, I think, is the most psychologically harmful p- thing of all, because all of us who need Christ need Christ for one reason. We understand we're sinners, and we have real moral guilt, right? If that isn't paid for, who bears that? 
right? Uh, we do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A gospel that doesn't preach that Christ dies for our sins. Ultimately, ultimately, it, it's sort of like a, going to a counselor and the council for a real problem you're facing, and the counselor says, "Oh, don't worry, you're fundamentally okay. Just don't don't beat yourself up about it." And you walk away thinking, "But I've got this huge problem. Like, you've done nothing for me. <laughs> you know, yeah, mm-hmm. you tried to make me feel better, but at what price? You haven't addressed the real issue." And I would argue that that. The only way Christianity, the Christianity is a psychologically health, healthy gospel precisely because of the atonement. Mm-hmm. Even uh, that, in that, Tim, it, it it affirms, I mean, the biblical worldview affirms not only our sinful falling condition, but also the incredible worth and value that we have as God's mm-hmm. creation, because A, we were made in his image, and that image has incredible worth and value that God sent Jesus to the cross in order to redeem us. That's, right. th- this is not, right, this this is, it's, it's flip, they're, fl- they're trying to flip it on its head, when in reality, this is the ultimate demonstration of a God who created us and even though we went astray, we rebelled against him, right? We're, we're in this mess because of our own actions. He, he holds out his hand and he presents us with a way out of our own problem. Uh, mm-hmm. He freely gives us his son. Real quick, just in response to something Sean said earlier, but, you know, yeah, Jesus chose this, right? The, the father didn't do this. Jesus chose this. John 10, 17 and 18. The reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is him. This is his choice, his choice to go to the cross and to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Good. And by the way, we could add Philippians 2 and many other passages where yeah. where it's very clear Jesus chose to come. Uh, it was in total harmony with the Father's uh, sending of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And, and Tim, you said something earlier. Uh, I want to come back to it. I'm okay. You're okay. You know, that's a 60s, 70s saying that we want to, uh, you know, be nice to each other. But you know, we don't believe that. I know I'm okay. But I don't think you are. <laughs> Meaning, there are certain people we wouldn't classify as, as they, they got a problem, but I don't. All right, especially I don't Josh. Especially Josh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. But, but yeah, yeah, so it comes We're going to demonstrate scapegoat theology with Josh today. <laughs> it, you know, we have to talk about sin. What is mm-hmm. sin? And, and what is the problem with it? And how can we deal with it? You know, yeah. it, we'd like to like to pat each other on the back and say, "I'm okay, you're okay." All right, just just press on, do better. I think you said, Tim, but that does that really solve the problem? And what would solve the problem? And that's where the atonement comes in. Right. There's one last line of questioning I want to explore here. Uh, I you know this is a little bit of devil's advocate here. I, I had, <laughs> I've had a, a couple of conversations with. Uh, individuals who said, look, all that salvation is, it's a legal contract between God and man. 
you accept Christ by by faith, and then through grace you receive. Uh, uh, you are made uh, positionally righteous before God, and and now you are you know in the fold, adopted as a son. That's it. That's all that salvation is. It's just that legal contract. And there are some in Christendom who 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 really point at the the uh, the West as having overly elevated this idea of the legal contract, the legal contractual view of salvation, and say it's a rather empty thing. You just sort of do it, and you're in the club, and now you're good to go, right? Like, how does that? How does it lead to a rich and satisfying life? How does that lead to to a, a rich and satisfying walk with God? You just wake up every day, go, oh, I signed my contract, I'm in the club. Uh, is is that a valid criticism? Um, and 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 do people who believe in substitutionary atonement necessarily have that that reductionist of a view? That's a big question. <laughs> but we go ahead, Sean. Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, I think it it certainly is. Um, I mean, justification does have uh, that sense of a <clears throat> of a legal declaration of of uh, of um, innocence, I guess, uh, of of being justified before God. That that's that's part of it. I don't I don't know anybody who would say that that's the extent of it, though. And mm-hmm. um, I remember uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer has a section in his uh, systematic theology where he lists something like 33 things that happen at the at the moment of salvation it's such it's such a rich uh, miraculous thing that happens we receive the holy spirit you know we are reconciled with our creator we you know there are numerous things that happen uh so to to reduce it down to simply simply justification which Frankly, uh, if that's all we got, uh, I'd be happy. <laughs> you know, I'd still be happy mm-hmm. with that. But, but uh, you know, biblically speaking, there are numerous wonderful things that happen in that miraculous moment when we are born again. So uh, I, I think that's a that's a pretty pretty uh, reductionist kind of uh, view of salvation. Yeah, agree. Obviously, salvation encompasses a lot of things, and there are numerous terms that we use to to describe it. Although, Tim, I do think um, I do think there's a little bit of a valid criticism there from a from a Western all right, from from a Western cultural framework. And sorry, intercultural studies hat. Um, but um, our our fundamental operating system if you will as as westerners is that we view the world primarily through a guilt innocence perspective you're right wrong black white correct incorrect guilty innocent we are our fundamental operating system is this kind of dichotomy as westerners and so yes absolutely because of that i would say we might have a tendency to be reductionistic and boil salvation down to a a legal contract um but that's definitely not all that it is as as sean just meant you know sean just mentioned reconciliation um uh, second corinthians 5 uh, probably one of my favorite passages in scripture talking about the the reconciliation work of christ on the cross (laughs) and reconciliation is a relational term not a legal term 
it, it has to do with the relationship that we have being restored. And so biblically, there are, are many ways in which for us to understand and comprehend the what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, not only you know legally, positionally, relationally, et cetera. It's a, it's a multifaceted thing. Um, but you know, as Westerners, because of the way we view the world, our tendency might be to focus on one piece of it. Right. Right. And yeah, sorry, Mike, any thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, we we distort the gospel in a number of ways in our culture. And and if that's all it is, it's just a, you know, I made the decision. I've got the ticket. I've got to pay a price. Uh, that's not what scripture reveals, what we're intended to do. Christ said, this is eternal life to know you. It's not just head knowledge. He was talking about the intimacy that he had with the Father were intended. I'm, I'm thinking of Paul here within Philippians 3. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right. So those things that Josh was just referring to, those terms that are definitely relational, you know, God wants a relationship with us. That, yeah. That's what he enabled. We, we could not come before a holy God's presence with our unholiness. And so something had to be done about it. And I can't do anything about it. Only he could. It's kind of, maybe, it's kind of oh, that's go ahead. good, Mike. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of hard to have a relationship with somebody who's in jail or or in a coffin. So, so you know, uh, Jesus brought us out of jail, brought us out of a coffin so that we could uh, be in relationship with God. So it's there's just it's just mm -hmm. too simple, too simplistic to 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 just focus on that and one. Not aspect. just any relationship as a child of God. Right. Yeah. As, yeah. as, as yeah. a son of God. Right. And and and. We have incredible purpose. We read Ephesians two ten and and know that we look forward to a life of of works that God has prepared for for us to do that are going to enrich and make our lives interesting and better. It permeates all of our relationships as we learn to deal with other people with the same kind of grace that that God has shown us, often imperfectly. Mm -hmm. But you know, for a Christian, that's a journey, and we get there, and it ends up transforming if we embrace it. Our relationships, uh, it, it it's it's a life with the Holy Spirit. That satisfies you, as 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 Amen. Christ pointed out, the woman at the well, right? For uh, that 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 will be a a, a fountain within right. you, welling mm -hmm. up into eternal life, right? It's just it's such a beautiful picture, and I I just you know if you're listening to this and and maybe you're on the other side of substitutionary atonement in terms of uh, uh, doubting his veracity. Uh, let me just assure you that there are many of us who we believe that substitutionary atonement is at the core. But it's not the only thing. Yes. Uh, it, yes. it would be like saying that marriage is only a legal contract and nothing more, <laughs> right? I mean, right? No, it's it's Good. far more than that. So, um, well, thank you guys so much. We <laughs> uh, we really are out of time, but uh, we solved it, right? We solved everything. <laughs> we, we, we covered. Answered every question. It's finally done. Calvinism <laughs> versus Armenian. It's over, right? Yeah. Everybody share this broadly because we we solved the the whole that's, thing. That's right. Gold star. That's right. Well, uh, yeah. It, it's yeah. Again, listener, uh, we really hope that you know if this is something that you are um, um, struggling with in terms of mm -hmm. your view of what salvation means and what mm -hmm. what Christ's work on the cross means, please feel free to contact us. Uh, through uh, the, the medium in, in which you're hearing this podcast, contact us or go out to Calvary, uh, calvary.edu. 
and and find us you can find our emails out there and give us give us a a shout we're more than happy to talk to you about this well thank you all for so much for listening today and being a part of this conversation again calvary conversations is the ministry of calvary university and uh, feel free to contact us and keep that conversation going have a great day bye god bless Thank you for joining us for this edition of Calvary Conversations, a service of Calvary University in Kansas City, Missouri. We invite you to participate in the conversation by contacting us through the Calvary University website, calvary.edu, or by calling us at 816-322-0110. Join us again next week for another Calvary Conversation.